is a bloody disgusting podcast network. We're talking nature versus nurture. We're talking going over cliffs, not once, but twice. And we're talking the ultimate Canadian rowboat chase scene. And I'm Joe. Damn it. I'm Trace, and I totally wanted to claim the rowboat chase, but I'll just (laughs) subvert you. (laughs) And I'll say one of the best uses of Moonlight Sonata in a film that I've seen since Misery. There we go. Yeah. We're talking What Keeps You Alive, everybody, which, um, funny story. So this just hit Netflix last month, I think. And so we've seen a lot of people in our Facebook group watching it and posting that they're watching it and offering their thoughts. And while this happens, I'm like, Joe and I are like in the background, I'm like, oh my God, y'all stop it. <laughs> We're doing an episode soon. <laughs> I mean, it's really good. You're all caught up. In fact, it's like you've done pre-homework, but also we... We feel like we often need to explain in these situations, we have not programmed something because we see people talking about it. We swear we had this plan. <laughs> yes, and I will offer the same statement to a film we have coming out later in September, um, which a lot of people have also been watching because it has been added to a streaming service. And it's like, no, we had this <laughs> scheduled already. <laughs> uh, we're either behind the times or we're like forecasting, predicting the future. I think we're psychic. I, 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 we're just like with our crystal ball, like, ooh. Um, But yeah, no, so we're talking What Keeps You Alive, uh, which is directed by, written and directed, I'm sorry, by Colin Minahan. Uh, This is a rewatch for me. I caught this at its premiere at South by Southwest in 2018, and I quite liked it then, and I must say, I still quite liked it now. Yeah, it's a nice way to close out vacation month. We thought it was kind of fun programming to begin with a ladies' cottage weekend and end with a ladies' cottage weekend. And they're both really good films. I'm glad to hear you say that, because this is a film that I feel like... I don't know. I feel like it is pretty divisive, although I'm not quite sure why. Like, I've seen a lot of people really like this film, but I've seen a lot of people also really hate this film. And, you know, I feel like in those cases, usually I can be like, yeah, I I see why. I see why someone might not like this. But I do confess that this is kind of one where I'm like, I'm not sure why some of the extreme hatred I've seen lobbed at this film exists. Oh, I can 100% tell you exactly what people don't like about it and where it happens good i i'm i'm glad to get that insight because i don't know i mean i i do think it's maybe a smidge too long like there's something that happens in the third act where i'm like oh you could like either cut this out entirely or like cut out half of it and shave 10 minutes off of this film but mm-hmm. overall i'm just like i I'm, i find the two lead performances by Brittany allen and H- hannah emily anderson compelling and i really enjoy watching them play off of each other but i will say that Watching it last night, I kind of had this inkling, like this thought to myself where I was like, huh, this is kind of like Jill Roberts given her own feature post-villain reveal. Hmm, interesting. I mean, really, we're we're talking about an adult psychopath who leaves a trail of carnage behind her. So, yes, obviously, that is who Jill Roberts is. But at the same time, you could just argue this is like 
the picture of a psychopath as an adult. No, it totally is. But it's just that, that moment in Scream 4 when Emma Roberts is like, I told so many lies today. I was so good. And like, so you're watching Hannah Emily Anderson just go and just like, t- like basically tell Jules, this is what, what, how I was doing it all. This is what was really going on. And it's like, I don't know, like I'm a sucker for that. Just like watching all that unfold and be like, oh my God, the mind of a psychopath. Not that I think this is a really deep film, mind you. <laughs> but I do find it like quite fascinating to watch. Yeah, and I do think actually that this is a film that rewards multiple viewings. So if you watch it, I think some people on a first time watch, they they look at it and say like, okay, so I picked up on the cues pretty early on. She's a crazy lady. Like she was always going to murder her. And you're like, yeah, that's not meant to be a surprise. But when you go back and watch it a second or even a third time, you can really start to see all of the subtle cues that Hannah Emily Anderson is giving. Like there's there's all of these little nuances to her performance where they're easy to miss on a first time around because you're just convinced that Jackie and Jules are having like a bit of an off weekend at the cottage. Well, and I think that Minahan's script does a good job of kind of priming you for that without giving like giving it away so early with the reveal of the Megan name mm-hmm. um, whenever Martha McIsaac's Sarah comes over to visit. But I will say that whenever this premiered at South by, I believe the log line was something along, along the lines of like, you know, a thriller set at a cabin in the woods where you don't, where it asks like, you know, do you ever really know who you're married to or something? Right. And so it's cueing you pretty early. <laughs> it is. But like, you know, I, I didn't walk into this movie thinking, oh, one of them is going to be a, a murderous psychopath, you know? So right. when, the reveal happened about 25 minutes into the film. Like, I, I'm not going to say I was, like, shocked, but I was pleasantly surprised by it, where I was like, oh, I didn't really expect it to go there. Like, I thought mm-hmm. maybe it was just going to be, like, again, like, she had a, a different identity or something. Not that she was a fucking psychopath. Yeah, and particularly that scene where Sarah does show up, and she's, like, shrouded in darkness, and you're thinking, who is this mysterious person who's showing up at someone's cottage in the middle of the night? Like, it'd be easy to assume that that is where the threat lies, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it is not within the house. It is external. So I thought that was a nice change as well. But on that note, re-watching it knowing that she is insane, you're right. I, I'm i not even sure if I would call them nuances, because sometimes I was watching Anderson go, and I was like, oh, she's clearly batshit from the get-go. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one of the fun questions to ask, and I don't know whether it's productive, but I'll, I'll still say that it's fun, is whether she just always planned to murder Jules. I mean, I know she talks about why she's doing this, but it seems like, why wait for the one-year anniversary to do this? Like, if things had have gone differently this weekend, would she have waited longer and then brought it back? Like, okay, year two then. We'll do year two. That's when I'll murder you. There's a couple instances of, like, you know, a few plot contrivances or things that don't really line up for me. The biggest one of which is whenever Jules finds the bo- the, the box full of necklaces at the end. Mm-hmm. And so it's, okay, so she's done this multiple times, like, not just with one wife, but, like, several. Yes. But then you have Sarah come over in the beginning, and she's like, oh, I just never see the lights on over here, so I'm coming to check on if the house is being robbed. So it's like, but we're led to believe that, like, that Jackie has done this to multiple women over the course mm-hmm. of the past, like, decade or so. Yeah. So that doesn't really make sense to me. But, it, I mean, again, like, I, I don't really care. No. I mean, you can you can hand wave it away in a number of different fashions. But yeah, I'm more interested in the idea that Jules is just the latest in a string of victims as opposed to the logistics of how frequently 
Jackie is visiting this cottage. Yeah, like, I honestly didn't even need, like, the multiple necklace reveal because we already knew ahead of time that she'd done this once before. So the box thing just kind of felt a bit like, eh, do we really need that? I don't really know. But, eh, whatever. I think part of it is just that you're really supposed to to realize, oh, Jules is outmatched in this case. Like, she thinks, oh, maybe I can talk to her. Maybe I can fight her. And it's like, this bitch has killed minimum four people. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're probably not going to get the upper hand on her. I think that's also kind of, um, oh, a movie that came out around a similar time was um, Thoroughbreds with Olivia mm-hmm. Cook and Anya Taylor-Joy. And it's definitely less of a thriller than this one is, but it's also where a character is a psychopath, or a sociopath at least in that one, and is aware of it. And I, I don't know, I, I just, yeah, I, I like seeing them, someone who's aware of their disorder and like just fucking roll with it. And in case people don't know the distinction, a psychopath is somebody who doesn't have any empathy or conscience. They can fake it, but they don't actually have any. Whereas a sociopath is somebody who's like, they just kind of take, they take pleasure in fucking with other people and hurting them. That makes sense. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah, let's let's kind of get this ball rolling. So What Keeps You Alive, again, it has its uh, premiere at South by Southwest in 2018, but it gets released on August 24th, 2018 by IFC Midnight. It has a runtime of 98 minutes, and I don't have budget information, uh, although I imagine that it's probably low budget, but this is a Canadian film, Joe, so it's filmed mm-hmm. in your neck of the woods. It is, yes. It was filmed in the Muskokas, which is a popular cottage country destination. I would wager that this is probably like in the five to eight million dollar range that would make sense um yeah i I didn't i mean it did open in new york and la it looks like here but it was same day as vod so i don't have any hard box office numbers either um Mm. apparently it did gross twenty thousand dollars in norway so uh good for you norwegians over there all right the reception was mostly positive. We're looking at 82% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 6.84 out of 10, as opposed to a letterbox score from users of 5.8 out of 10. So it's a little bit less liked by people. Um, but yeah, I'd say the 6 to 7 out of 10 range is kind of like your standard. Right. I can definitely see this film playing better with critics who are probably appreciative that it is a smarter take on a bit of a familiar story. Whereas I think audiences who go into this expecting something a little bit louder and bloodier might find that it's emphasis on characters and just kind of calmness in between its bursts of violence. I think they might say like, oh, well, it's just not as exciting or I got a little bored. I got a little listless. I will say that the, for director Colin Minahan, I, I, he's done a couple films before this. This is probably his most mature film to date, um, and I don't think you've seen any of his previous films, Joe. I've only seen one of them. Um, yeah, he did get his start out as part of a directorial slash writing duo called The Vicious Brothers with Stuart Ortiz. Uh, together, they released that they, they wrote and directed the film Grave Encounters uh, from 2011, and then they also did a movie called Extraterrestrial from 2014. Um, I haven't seen Extraterrestrial but it does star the lead of the den so i'm intrigued but my husband wasn't a fan of it Uh, i will say the grave encounters is quite entertaining though right and if people want to hear you talk a little bit more about that they should check out the patreon on the episode where we talked about host and screen horrors because you talked about that a little bit there yeah sure i think i did that Mm mm-hmm (laughs) um then he did another movie called it stains the sand red which actually also co-starred britney allen who's in this movie because they are of course a married couple they are husband and wife in real life which i actually thought thought was really interesting too because for this one allen also did the score for the film this is her first score 
And then we kind of get a little bit even more incestuous because Joe <laughs> Minahan also co-wrote the movie Z that came out earlier this year. And Alan also did the score for that film. Hey, there we go. But strangely enough, he didn't direct that one. That's somebody else. Yeah, it was it was only a writing effort for him. Um, and again, it was a co-writing effort, I think, with the director. Um, yes. But again, also more kind of weird incestual things like Hannah Emily Anderson and Bernie Allen were both in Jigsaw the same year, despite sharing no screen time together. Well, that's just a Canadian thing. That's like, hey, this famous film is being shot in Canada and we're all part of like a small (laughs) acting community. I will because you're not a big fan of Jigsaw, right? I am not. I feel like it's a wasted effort. Like, if you're going to bring the franchise back, you should at least do something new with it. And it feels firmly in line with later Saw movies, which I did not care for. I agree. Um, It's a solid C for me for the exact reason you just mentioned. I think it's fine, but it does not justify its existence. But I will say that I think Anderson, as the kooky... Um, is she mortician. The police? Oh, the mortician. Okay, she's yeah, the mortician. She's a good one. Yeah, yeah. She's like the bright spot of the film because she's kind of like into the whole jigsaw cult thing, and she's also like just you know your tropey weird mortician character in a film. Right. <laughs> um, whereas Brittany Allen is wasted almost immediately because she gets like one scene, and then she's the one that like gets the poison injected in her, and her face melts off. All right. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. Um, oh, actually, Brittany Allen is also an extraterrestrial, so that would make sense. Um, I actually. <laughs> Because I just started watching The Boys this year. She has a three-episode arc that culminates in her um, sitting on someone's face to death, which is quite fun. Yeah, it's good times. I totally did not recognize her until you cued me that that was her, which is ironic because she looks the same almost in The Boys Mm -hmm. as she does here in this movie because she's got her short hair and yeah. Do you remember her being also in The Prodigy? No. She's the good death. In the very end, whenever the kid goes to like kill the woman. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, right. sorry. Not important. Oh, the prodigy. <laughs> I think it's fine. So yeah, I'm not not a ton of production information about this film. Um, so before we really dive into the plot, I do think it's important to mention that this is a script that started out written as a straight couple in the lead, as a male and a female. And from what I can understand, based on the research that I've done, it seems like the male actor bailed, or at least wasn't able. There was a scheduling conflict at the last minute. So. They switched it just to be a lesbian couple in the lead. Right. Which is probably one of the reasons why it ended up being Brittany Allen, because it's like, hey, your husband's directing this movie. He's in a jam. Can you come on and help him out with this probably relatively short shoot? Yeah. And do you have the quote, any quotes from Minahan regarding this, this change? I don't have direct quotes, but I read a bunch of different things where he essentially talked about how he doesn't think it's a big deal. So he really, he didn't rewrite anything from what I can gather. So he didn't really change much of the story to accommodate this. And he did that in part because he didn't want to make a big deal out of the fact that it was suddenly a lesbian couple or the fact that it's a lesbian who murders her partner. I will confess, on, on the surface when I first heard that, I was like, you know what? I get that. That, that. I like that. Because it's it's kind of the whole idea of wanting to normalize queer culture. So it's like, hey, like this is a movie that is two lesbians. Um, or that features two lesbians in the prominent roles. And so, but we're not going to like, it. that's not going to be like what it's about. You know, it's not, oh, they're gay and that's the big thing. And so I like that. But I do, I mean, there are flaws also inherently with that reasoning. 
Yeah, so I think on one hand, you can look at it and say the reason that Jackie kills is not because she's a homicidal lesbian, which Mm -hmm. is the trope that we tend to see. And it's what got a lot of films where the killer is a cross-dresser. You know, that was a big deal in the late 70s and some of the 80s. And it's become increasingly problematic to the point where we almost never see those kinds of reveals anymore because the queer community gets really frustrated with this traditional depiction so we've seen murderous lesbians and we've seen these like trans ish killers and it's just like it's played out and done right so the beauty of this film is that she's not a murderous lesbian because she's a lesbian she just happens to be a lesbian who is also a murderer and the film treats it very much that way so i do appreciate that then you flip it over where Mm -hmm. you take Minihan's quotes where he's like, yeah, it's not like a really big deal. I didn't do anything that's really different. Uh, I think it's great that we can have these characters in here and just not make a big deal out of it. And that's where I also kind of like get my back up a little bit. And I, when I started to do some research into reviews, anytime I found queer reviewers, this was always an element of their reviews. So, you know, it was it was a fairly notable point of the production. Like, he was very frank about talking that, yeah, it used to be a traditional couple, and then I ended up having to swap it, and then it became lesbians, and I didn't change anything. And all the queer reviewers were like, okay, but here's the thing. It fucking does change the movie. Like, because all of a sudden we've got a very different kind of representation. So mm-hmm. whether or not he wants to acknowledge that it doesn't change anything for queer viewers, it's a night and day difference. Because all of a sudden we've got very prominent queer representation. And then we also maybe have this tired trope of a lesbian who kills. Which, and I will confess, I, I, I don't really subscribe to that. I mean, like, yes, the lesbian who kills. But yeah, like, she's not killing because she's a lesbian. And so I... I as a, you know, gay man, didn't take offense to this portrayal at all. I do think that his quotes, um, that, that belittle the idea of that it doesn't change anything. Because, again, I get what he's trying to do, you know? Like, it's the kind of thing, oh, look, we're trying to normalize queer culture, and so we're trying to make it be like, look, it's no different than the straight culture. I The intention, I do think, is positive. The problem is that, yeah, like you said, it, that's just unfortunately not really the case, if you change anything from straight to queer, it does change it inherently. And I don't have a problem with his quotes initially, but it doesn't seem like I've really read much of a response to the criticisms to his quotes. And I think that's maybe where the issue lies with me. Yeah, I did have a friend here in Toronto. So Joshua Dare, who ran the Queer for Fear program here in Toronto, actually really ended up taking offense to some of his quotes. And he tried to engage Minihan on Twitter. And Minihan like totally shut it down and was like, I don't want to talk about this. Like, I'm not interested in having this conversation. And I don't know if that's maybe just because as a creator, you don't want one single aspect to dominate the discussion. Like, there's more to this film than the fact that it is about a pair of lesbians right but there's also not because if you look at the film at the end of the day there's four characters in this movie so the relationship between jackie and jules is all-encompassing that's what this movie is all about to play devil's advocate here though so was this like a public tweet confrontation yeah so it was one of those things where it's like all eyes can see 
See, which and, makes like, sense. You're like, okay, we don't need to air the dirty laundry in public. Well, and that's, I mean, I, th- I think that, you know, I do think that, the, that, that it would be beneficial for Minahan in general to have this conversation. But yeah, I don't really think Twitter is the medium for that, especially, I mean, may, maybe. <laughs> maybe in DMs. I mean, Twitter's not the medium for anything, let's no. be honest. <laughs> if no. you want intelligent dialogue, Twitter should not be your, your go-to. I have literally, like, I, I think maybe a handful of times have I had a productive, like, like argument on Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. I think you can have discussions, but I, I do think, I mean, obviously in like, you know, the people that were, you know, offended specifically with dare um, about, about Menahan's quotes, it, it's a valid critique and it's a valid thing to feel offended by that. But at the same time, you know, you, when you have that much emotion going into a Twitter, like reach out <laughs> about this, yeah. I'm sure that, yeah, I'm sure that Menahan was feeling pretty defensive. I'm not defending him either. I'm just saying like, I do get both sides of this story. If that oh, makes for sense. sure. And I don't think it's a right, wrong situation. It's just one of those things where I don't think that you can make a queer film and then not want to address right. some of those queer issues. Right. And whether that was the right form or not, eh, you know, that that sort of semantics. I do think if you pull it back even further, there is this weird history of straight men writing lesbian horror. So like we've we've talked about a couple of different lesbian texts. And if you want to go back and look at them, they are all written and directed by men. And again, I don't think that this film is particularly salacious. There's a hint of a sex scene. The women are mostly clothed throughout all of it. Like, it's actually quite a responsible portrayal. Yeah, the the, the, the most, I mean, if you want to even call it exploitative scene with nudity is the bathtub scene. But even that, I think, is shot very tastefully. And also, mm-hmm. it's his wife. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's an interesting thing when you say, okay, so here's a straight man who's writing and directing this lesbian film that stars his straight presumably straight we we don't actually know anything about their sexuality so we're speculating but presumably straight wife another straight actress in the other role so i think these are conversations that are worth having particularly as we do talk about how how much people need both diversity but also representation and i think one of the things that doesn't happen because of the rapid switch that happened in this film is that there is no opportunity to maybe make this more of a lesbian text or to cast queer actors or well, involve the queer community in the decisions. You're right. And the film doesn't seem interested in addressing that at all, which I, I do think is okay. But I mean, again, if you disagree, I totally understand. But yeah, the fact that Menahan doesn't seem interested in addressing it is probably the real issue here. Now, and I'll actually even go back to something that um, BJ Colangelo had mentioned to me. And this is actually something that I kept in my mind when coming across films like this. But it was nothing about us without us, you know? So this is a film, like you said, it's about lesbians written by a presumably a straight man. Mm-hmm. What I do find interesting, though, is that the like, one of the next films that he has written, which is coming out um, in September on Shudder, is a movie called Spiral, not the from the mm-hmm. book of Saw. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, um, a different spiral, folks. Yeah, it's a different spiral, but it, it, it's a co-written effort, and it is about a gay male couple. And, mm-hmm. and kind of there's like a culty like a, a environment to it. I'm, we, I've seen it. Have you seen this? I don't remember if you have. I have not. So okay. I'm looking forward to checking it out. I also think that... I mean, I think just seeing it from afar, that maybe some lessons were learned in between what keeps you alive and Spiral, because even like the casting of Jeffrey Boyer Chapman, who is an out queer man, 
you know, people know him from Drag Race because he's guested on the American version. He's one of the uh, one of the co-hosts of the Canadian version right now. So I think the fact that there's more queer representation and queer voices working on the subsequent film tells me that I think Minihan heard those responses and was like, yeah, I'm going to take these on board. Well, and the thing with Spiral, too, is so he co-wrote it with a man named John P- Poliquin. I, mean, I might have butchered that name. And I don't know if this man is gay, but he is he is a Canadian music video director, but he, he directed Grave Encounters 2, which, yeah, okay. which the Vicious Brothers wrote, wrote but didn't direct, return to direct. So I think it'll be interesting to see with that film, you know, if like, yeah, like you said, there's a bigger queer presence in the film because of the actors involved. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I do think it's interesting that he goes from writing a film that is unintentionally queer with right. what keeps you alive to a film that is intentionally queer yes and that maybe show growth but again when y'all watch spiral y'all can see if it resonates better with you than what keeps you alive if i don't know we'll see there we go yeah <laughs> um but yeah no so i yeah that, that was a whew, heavy discussion to get out of the way before <laughs> we start this film <laughs> this is true yeah i i don't think the film is quite as heavy as we made it out to be but uh I think it's, again, it's just always a conversation I think worth having, particularly in newer, more contemporary films. Right. I agree. So why don't we go into this plot then, and we'll talk about the film as a whole. Sounds good. So the film opens with married lesbians, Jackie, Hannah Emily Anderson, and Jules, Brittany Allen, arriving at Jackie's isolated cabin in the woods to celebrate their first anniversary. Woo! Yay! Okay, so it's first anniversary, and so they're married. So we're... Because I think I had always thought that they were have been together for a year by this point, but they've been married for a year then. This is what Wikipedia says. I don't know <laughs> how explicit they really make it. Like, I was trying to keep an ear out, and I definitely heard that it was their anniversary, but I didn't hear, like, all the details. Okay, yeah. Because um, I'd seen some complaints that are like, like, why would you marry someone so quickly? And, like, how could you not tell they were insane? I don't really what? buy into those critiques, oh. per se. Uh, those people need to shut the fuck up because you don't know what's going on in other people's relationships. I know people who have gotten married after a couple of months, and I know people who haven't gotten married, and it's been decades. Well, and I mean, we'll get to it later, but there's that dinner table conversation where Jules goes into like, you know, you don't like, you hope for the best and you pray you don't get the worst, blah, blah, blah. blah. And Mm -hmm. it resonated so much with me. Like, again, there are parts of this film that I was like, oh, this really hits me close to home but not yeah. because of my husband mind you but right just because just, i've had just some to be clear just to be clear <laughs> yeah, yeah my husband's fine <laughs> <laughs> my marriage is safe everybody <laughs> no i actually think that alan is a, a fucking star in this movie mm-hmm. i think uh hannah emily anderson is having a lot of fun and she's bringing a lot to the table in her own depiction but for me it's this is alan's movie well i think it's because anderson though she gets the more showy role, right? Like, she gets to be the psychopath. She gets to show more layers on the surface. But Alan, you know, it it's a more restrained role. But mm-hmm. even so, I think it's more... Not that I want to compare the two performances, because they're both so different. Right. But is it's more understated and more quietly yeah. impressive. Yeah. So, well, Jules explores the <laughs> the entire cottage in a helpful geographical layout of the space. Jackie wanders off. This this cottage is great. I mean, it to me, this is a real cottage. Like, it has the feel 
I don't okay. know how much they like dress the set or change things around, but like this felt very authentic to me. I don't for me, like and maybe I'm wrong, but once you add a second story, it's not even a cottage anymore. It's just a house. <laughs> it's a fucking house, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell that to my sister and her extended family. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so it's a great space and it's very helpful that we've got this right off the top so that we just have a sense of like where things are because we will need to know where people are running around at a later point in the film. We also get Chekhov's insulin mentioned two minutes into the film. Right. Which I think is also easy to miss, though. It's not like hitting you over the head like, here's a shot of the insulin. <laughs> um, I, I would disagree. I mean, I actually forgot how this movie ended. And literally when I heard the insulin line, I was like, well, that's going to come into play later. Like Literally whenever there's... It, it's the same thing as the asthma inhaler, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if, if screenwriters, if you mention insulin in your film... We're going to assume it's going to pay off later. Yeah, it's going to come into play later. <laughs> we know. <laughs> <laughs> But the problem is, is that if you don't, then it just seems like it comes out of nowhere and then your audiences get confused or they complain like, oh, well, there wasn't well, yeah. enough setup. There. There, there's no easy way to do it. There's no, there's no smooth way to do this. <laughs> like you have to mm-hmm. mention it. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that night, Jackie sings Jules a creepy rendition of the song Bloodlet by the band Monroe, which is cool. a good old Canadian band. I was like, didn't and know if, what that was. Yeah. <laughs> I thought she made it up. No, it's a natural song, and it includes lyrics uh, that feature the words row, run away, and demon inside. Oh, oh man. Okay, this is where it comes to music. See, like, I'm just, like, listening to the melody. I wasn't listening to the lyrics, so I wasn't, like, paying attention to that. Although, her eye acting in this scene is very, like, her eyes are, like, You mean the lack of eye contact, where it's like, I'm gonna sing you the song, and aggressively not look at you. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly... And it's, again, it's just, it's, this is something that should clearly clue you in, but if you don't know going in that she's a murderer, you could just be like, oh, she's just really distant right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there is every sense that, you know, Jackie is wrapped up in something by coming back to this cottage. It's Mm -hmm. why she hasn't brought Jules here before. And you're like, yeah, because this is her murder territory. This is where she brings women who she wants to hunt and kill. (laughs) (laughs) But of course, so Jules, she's just like, hmm, she's having an off day. All right. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, again, when you're if you're married to someone for a year and also you've been with them for presumably longer than that, that makes sense. And I think that the people that might be thrown off by it, it's because we just we just met these women. You know, we haven't been with them for a year, obviously. But I, I like I would totally buy that. Yeah, there's no suspicion on Jules's part here because it's just I don't know. Like they they quote unquote know each other. She knows her wife. And I think anybody who's been in a relationship knows that there's days where you really connect with that other person and other days where you're just like, this is a stranger. I don't even know who you are. Yep. There's some weird shit going on. The the vibes between us are off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that doesn't prevent them from making out. Jules is like, let's just put this guitar down for a while and let's just take off some clothes. (laughs) (laughs) But before they can get too far, they're interrupted by a neighbor from across the lake, Sarah, as you mentioned, Martha McIsaac. Um, Now, you know who this girl is, right? Uh, She looks so familiar, but I did not place her. So why don't you tell me? (laughs) So she's actually, well, so some people may know her from Superbad playing the other girl in it that's not Emma Stone. Yes. Okay. Yeah, but she's also known for being the other female lead that's not Sarah Paxton in The Last House on the Left remake. Oh, fuck, right. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
which totally makes sense because those are both like totally shot in and around Toronto. Yeah, and but again, it's like watching her when she finally gets killed in this movie, it was totally like giving me flashbacks to Last House on the Left, which we did cover on our Patreon last year, and both of us really, really enjoyed. Oh, see, look at you working in those plugs now. I'm so far, <laughs> my sweet baby angel. <laughs> I do wish that she had more to do in this movie because I just genuinely like her. Yeah. Another incestuous connection, she was in a movie that I've never seen called Dead Before Dawn 3D, but Brittany Allen was also in that movie. And so I wonder if, like, that's kind of how, like, you know, they all got involved with each other. Right. They're all just kind of friends because they've worked on a couple of movies together. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I mean, particularly with a film of this size, you might calling favors or be like you know what this is a good opportunity to give that person i like a chance to work and you know what martha mcisaac i like you and i want to see you in more things there we go preferably not movies where you're just getting hacked to death and or <laughs> like raped horribly it's really ups- I, I actually probably need to go back and watch super bad because i really don't remember much of her in that movie but i haven't seen it since it came out i mean it's it's good it's funny it's All juvenile right. but funny yeah <laughs> So this childhood friend refers to Jackie as Megan. And again, if you want to talk about Brittany Allen's great acting, where you see the look go across Jules's face, Mm -hmm. it's sheer what the fuckery. Yeah. (laughs) But she doesn't say anything. She's just kind of like, all right, you know what? I'm going to deal with this later, but I don't need to do it in front of this woman who I don't know. Which I connected with so hard. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm a person who in my younger days, like, would absolutely have public fights with my partner. And um, yeah. those are embarrassing. So as I've gotten older, I've learned to not do that. And so if I learn something in public, I'm like, I'm gonna keep that in my back pocket and bring that up later, um, hopefully when I'm sober. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you close the door to the cottage and you say, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> but her, her response is, I don't even know what to say to you right now. And I'm like, you know what? That's that also is- very... Very that real. line is 100% true, right? Yeah. Like, every couple has, I think, at some point said, I don't even know what to say to you right now. <laughs> I mean, the the thing about this that didn't connect with me is that they don't address it until the next day. Yeah. I was like, I'd be wanting answers <laughs> right then and then. There was, I mean, there have been, like, times where, like, something has bothered me about something, like, my partner or my husband has done, and I, I don't bring it up for a couple days, maybe, because I'm just like, you know, it didn't bother me that much. But then, like, it kind of, like seeps in right if this had happened though that wouldn't be the same because it's literally like um your name mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so it comes out the next morning after jules goes for a run which is helpful because it cues us to learn that she can run in the woods yay that'll come important <laughs> so they head out in the open water in a rowboat check off rowboat yeah for sure one of two <laughs> And I, I also like this because I remember when I would get in fights with my ex, I would invite him to go because he was very like standoffish. He didn't want to talk about things that were problematic. Yeah. He preferred to just not address them. That's how I used to be and sometimes still can be. As somebody who just wants to get shit out in the open, let me tell you, it's horrifying. I'm no, just I like, know. Please talk to me about this problem. So what I would do is I would take him places and then we would be trapped en route. So I would then say, okay, well, we've got nowhere else to go. So let's talk about this thing. That's how my dad gave me the sex talk. He told me we were going to Blockbuster and we were, but he told me about sex on the road to Blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> because what are you going to do? Open the open the car door and just jump out? Yeah, yeah little, you're going to have to sit there and listen to it. 11-year-old Trey is just fucking like jumping out of the car because I didn't find out about sex until I was 11. 
<laughs> you're like, Dad, no, Dad, no. Yeah, and then I, you just bail. <laughs> at the time, I thought sex was just kissing. So that was really fun. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so babies are born from really I thought God put kissing. them there. I grew up really Catholic. So I thought that oh, God right, decided yeah. that after you were married, like at a, after a certain point, God decided. So when people, like when I was watching TV and stuff and people were having trouble conceiving, I thought it was because God was like angry at them and didn't want to give them a baby yet. Or he didn't think they were ready. <laughs> god and the sad thing is i'm sure there's people who do think that and hopefully if you're listening to us and you do think that we've just enlightened you there you go yes babies do not come from god nor do they come from passionate kissing <laughs> that's your um, so yeah so th- th- that's exactly what she does she gets her in this rowboat and they talk yeah they talk it out so at this point jules explains that she changed her name after she came out and this is the thing that this is really the only time the film really addresses like how being queer can affect you and your life yes i do wonder how this played out or if the name change was even a factor in the previous version of the screenplay when it was a straight couple yeah i imagine it was but obviously the explanation was different but i i like the explanation of it here like i've i've never felt the need to change my name but this rang true to me Yeah, it also rings true to me because that is literally what I did. So What? Joe, I've never heard this brand new information before. (laughs) Uh, So Trace is being a complete phony because he already knows this about me, but it's not something that I often publicly talk about. But Joe is actually not my, well, it is my name. It's my middle name, but Mm -hmm. my first name is actually Paul. And I changed it when I moved to go to university or college for you folks in the U.S., Mm -hmm. And I realized that the person that I had been growing up was no longer the person I was. And about a year later, I ended up coming out. But it was all about saying that person is more or less dead to me because I didn't like who he was. I don't want to be him anymore. And I changed my name to try to become someone new. And that new person ended up becoming a queer man. But so whenever you start dating someone, or I guess even when you date, when you start dating your husband, like, is that something that you let, like, let them know right off the bat? Uh, It's something that I often forget about. I've actually (laughs) conditioned myself to respond to it. It took me a long time to realize, okay, you don't respond to this name, you now respond to this name. And it can almost become a confusing process, even though it's something you initiated yourself. But my parents and my sister still call me by my first name. So every time we have family gatherings, I always have to remember that my husband Brian is going to be very confused because they all call me Paul all the time. Do you not find that disrespectful or is it just because you've never made it a point to be like, hey, y'all, please call me Joe? Or have you done that and they just ignore it? it it's something that I allow for them because it, and this should be something that's important, like... Uh, Because you raised it off the air and I initially was like, no, I don't think that's comparable. But in this way, it probably is. So this is not like a dead name for a trans person. Right. Where like you have literally changed your entire, like it's so symbolic because it represents a completely different person who you have always been. For me, this was more of almost like a semantic thing where I said, like it was almost aspirational. I didn't need to like kill off who I was before because that had never been me. It was just like, I don't want to be that person anymore. So I'm going to try this new name on for size. 
And my family understands that, but it's also really, really challenging for them to process it because they knew me as that person for 18 years. So actually, now that I'm talking about it out loud, it is kind of the same, but I don't have the same issues. I think, uh, yeah, again, without, it, it is comparable, I think, but obviously, like, it's it's like in the ballpark, you know, it's not the same thing. It doesn't come with the same no. societal issues, I guess. That I don't know. I, I'm trying to be gentle here. But again, I hope you all understand what I'm trying to get across here. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> Let's just say that we're probably doing a bad job of talking about this. And if we have offended anybody, we apologize. But the, very much so. The idea is very much that when Jules says this, or sorry, when Jackie says this to Jules, it really struck me as something where you're like, yeah, you know what, you, that's not who you are anymore. A name change can really help to signify that, right? Like, you are not this person anymore, right. you are now this person. So to me, I was like, I think in the film, it's meant to to suggest to you, oh, this girl is shady, don't trust her because she's just got another lie ready to go all the time. Mm-hmm. But as a queer person who literally did what she's talking about, I was like, oh, this speaks to me. And I'm glad I'm glad that you at least did that. So that way it would like to, to bring in that kind of insight, because, yeah, I mean, I, as everyone knows, you know, my, my Trace is not my name at all. It's my it's my nickname, but I've always gone by Trace. You know, it's always been my nickname. So I've never right. gone through that. The same thing that you've gone through. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's a weird thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wouldn't call it weird. I would just say, you know, it's it's one of those things because I'm sure that you might have people that ask you, like, well, why, why would you do that? Like, why in your early 20s would you decide to change your name? Or I'm sorry, go by your middle name now. Yeah, exactly. It, it's just a personal thing, you know? Like, if I all of a sudden decided to go by Dennis, which is my middle name, I, I'm sure I would have a lot of people that are like, what the fuck, Trace? I mean, mm-hmm. Dennis. <laughs> and the funniest thing actually is when people are like oh but you don't look like a this person and you're like yeah it's because i'm not that person well the, the problem yeah the problem is yeah i don't see you as a paul but it's because i've only known you as joe i mean again exactly. i found out that you were paul uh like i mean in the past couple months i feel like right uh yeah about that yeah um so podcast listeners <laughs> to say that i like literally i had a moment where he was like yeah joe's not my real name and i was like what <laughs> <laughs> we were out in a rowboat and i had given you this locket of a picture with the two of us in it and then i told you i had changed my name and then i hit you in the head and pushed you into the water well that doesn't happen here yet because the movie does stretch us out a little bit longer before we get the grand reveal this is true yeah so at this point it's still just a oh okay but maybe this makes sense Mm -hmm. so they decide what any two consenting women would do in a relationship they do some target practice where we learn that jackie is both an expert markswoman and also terrifyingly intense yeah yeah although i will say that that for being as good of a shot as she is um she's not later yeah she's a shit shot later (laughs) (laughs) which in that way i was like well i don't even need this like i I know it's supposed to be like okay cool so she's she's grown up hunting but Mm -hmm. literally like when it should be an easy shot for her to shoot jewels later she's really bad at it (laughs) This is true. I don't know if maybe it's just because she's been taken so off guard, right? 
Because really, Maybe. at that point, it's like, I thought I killed you. What are you still doing alive? Or it's because there's still like an hour of the movie left and we still need a robo chase. Well, there is that, yes. <laughs> but this uh, shooting incident leads into Jackie's story where she talks to us and Jules about her childhood and she introduces this black bear that's on the mantle and how she shot it and then she went to go in for the kill but her gun jammed. So she had to stand there and watch it die in front of her. And it's from this encounter that her father tells her the title line, which is, you only kill what keeps you alive. Which, <laughs> gotta say, love it, putting that title name right in there. Yeah, but I also love that it's a different version. Like, in this case, her dad was saying, oh, we're going to eat this bear. It's going to subsist us for the rest of the winter. Right. Whereas in the course of the movie, like, the way that Jackie has interpreted that quote is, you should kill people for money so that you can continue to live off of it. Yes, like, exactly. Bitch, no, get a job like the rest of us. I mean, really, maybe the dad should have been a bit more clear. But I do like that the movie isn't like, oh, that's the moment when, like, you know, when she killed this animal that turned her. Because she says later, mm -hmm. like, I've always been this way. I've always been psychopathic. Yeah, it's always been. It's it's nature, not nurture. Yep, exactly. <laughs> okay, so when Jules wakes up the next day, Jackie has gone to town, and Jules has a weird nagging feeling. So it's kind of like what you said, where she was going to let it go, and then she decides she can't let it go. So yeah. she takes the rowboat to visit Sarah, and Sarah's husband, Daniel, Joey Klein. I do love that there's like two houses on this lake. Yeah, it's a very secluded lake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining what it would be like if this was more like us, where there's just a bunch of cottages around the lake. It's like, I, can you imagine Jackie running around just like killing everybody? <laughs> yes. Um, now, how was your house porn meter going off on this? Did you have a big old boner? I mean, the difference in wealth between these two cottages <laughs> is slightly substantial yeah it is it's a great house though I, I hate that we only spend like a scene in it i won't lie i actually thought that the dinner took place at their house yeah. so i thought we were going to get to see this property and get it a bit destroyed later on so it was very weird to be like oh no we're actually just sticking around in the other cottage they okay. probably only have that house for like a day Right. I mean, there's some good fiscal responsibility in the way that they're shooting this movie. Like, it's really one location mm -hmm. and the woods. But you're you're right. They probably were like, okay, we need this other house, but it's going to cost us thousands of dollars a day. So <laughs> let's see if we can shoot everything in one day, and then we can just let it go. For sure. <laughs> so in Sarah and Daniel's house, Jules finds a picture of teenage Megan, I'm doing air quotes, <laughs> as well as Sarah. And then there's a third girl, Jenny, who we immediately learn. And Sarah's like such a gossipy bitch because she just immediately goes, oh, yeah, basically Jackie probably killed Jenny. Okay, yes. It, there's no sugarcoating it at all. This is also not... It's not really her place. I think you can say, oh, yeah, she was a friend of ours who died when we were growing up. But, mm -hmm. like, I don't know. Like, the kind of, like, um, by the way, she also drowned and um, your wife might have killed her. I just think it's really weird that she never told you about this. Like, that, that, that's so condescending. Like, oh, I think it's weird that your husband didn't tell you this. Your wife didn't tell you this. It's like, mm -hmm. it's like they're trying to poke holes in your relationship. Which, yep. granted, in this case, is true, <laughs> is valid. <laughs> but I've had people do that to me or, like, um... Where someone will text me and be like, oh, yeah, Andrew and I were talking the other day. And I'm like, I know. Do, do you think that he didn't tell me those things? Like, do yeah, you? Like, he's it, having it, secret it, conversations without you. Yeah. Like, it always rubs me the wrong way when people do shit like that. So th th this kind of got on my nerves a bit. 
I won't lie. Part of this is that I think that Sarah had some kind of crush on Megan. Mm. Cause I I got a bit of a flirty vibe from her. And I I often wondered when I watched this film, is it because there's something like Sarah wanted more to the relationship? And I get the impression that it was actually Jenny that Megan had a relationship with and that's why she was the one who got killed I didn't get that vibe I definitely got like Sarah was terrified of Megan constantly um Mm. but I I can see where you would infer that okay interesting listeners let us know if you read a little bit of queerness in Sarah or none at all Mm -hmm. yeah okay so Jules puts that in her pocket and then she goes back and she goes on a walk with Jackie and it's Jules' turn to be weird and distant and a little bit awkward until the point where Jackie just goes, what the fuck is going on? You've been quiet all day. And <laughs> Jules is like, did you kill Jenny? that bitch? Did you kill her? <laughs> <laughs> and Jackie turns on the waterworks and she goes into it. She talks about how she and Jenny had this competitive swimming thing going on. And then Jenny just drowned in the lake and she was questioned, but it wasn't anything serious. And oh my God, I can't believe you would think that about me, babe. <laughs> oh, she's good. Now, it, but this, this is my, this is what I like. I think that this, cause I, I, this is 25 minutes into the movie. I think the pacing has been pretty good so far. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was, quite expecting her to like kill her right now like immediately afterwards they walk to the cliff and she pushes her over (laughs) i mean it's great and she fucking like beelines for her and it's just such a fast moment Mm -hmm. i mean i I, this to me like even if you kind of you're like okay well she's clearly insane i i don't think anyone was expecting it to happen this quickly no absolutely not because you literally think oh okay well i guess jules is gone now what is the movie now what does this look like uh, yeah i literally didn't know what was gonna happen <laughs> it's a it's a pretty great turn for sure so we follow jackie for a little bit she calmly walks back to the cottage she burns her ripped shirt she practices her 911 call in the mirror again it's like fucking jill roberts like bashing her body into like picture frames and tables uh-huh. and shit but like the non-violent version <laughs> yeah I don't need to go to all those theatrics. I'm not a teenager. I'm just going to get a little hysterical in front of the mirror. I get her body is gone. Oh, 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 and they also use all those jump cuts as she's doing it. Like, oh, I fucking like. I love mm-hmm. using jump cuts for like the fractured mind. It's 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 a really it's a really popular trope in editing, but I really really like it. But I like that this one, we still have a bit of distance. Like the camera is placed at the door to Mm -hmm. the bathroom. It's not like placed directly in front of her and she's going all bajiggity eyed. And like, I've seen that too many times. Yes. Yeah. I I agree with you. I agree. Oh, thank you. you. (laughs) You're smart. You've watched a couple movies before. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, one or two. So, okay, so she's got this already. She's she's good to go. I'm not quite sure why she doesn't call 911 here, but whatever. So she goes back to the crime scene, and at this point, Jackie realizes, ah, shit, there's just a bloody locket on the ground and no body, and Jules is gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then we cut back to Jules, and we spend a little bit of time with her, and this is where we get some crazy camera work, so mini hands spinning the camera around 360, we've got a little bit more jump cuts, and it's really to represent the fact that Jules is probably pretty concussed and very badly wounded. Yeah, the, the one thing that I really like, because there was a point where I was like, 
when it goes to the next morning, and I'm like, Jules, why the fuck are you still in that same spot? Yeah. But I was also like, oh, but you know what, though? She's really seriously injured, and I do appreciate that this film, for the most part, takes the injuries seriously, because there's so many times in horror movies, especially, where, like, someone gets stabbed or whatever, and they were just trucking along, like, nothing happened. So Mm -hmm. it it does make her injuries, like, feel very real, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I do think people quibble with the fact that she still recovers from the injuries a little bit faster and more easily than you would in real life. But I think the movie is doing a relatively decent job of saying, okay, she is quite badly hurt. Like, she doesn't move quickly for the rest of the film. Yeah. But I I mean, I think personally she would just be dead after the first fall. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, it's a suspension of disbelief. I mean, again, when we get to the second fall, you can raise that concern again. <laughs> right. Yes. Spoiler alert on the second fall. <laughs> um, I do, but I do love this though. Like fucking uh, Jackie walking around, like, oh my god, baby, I'm so sorry. And like the, the and oh, it's so uncomfortable, right? Because this is the moment where you know you could make the argument, okay, something happened. She didn't mean to push. Yeah, like she it just wanted to accident. push her because she was angry or something. Yeah, and then she looks up and she literally sees Jackie turning the concern on and off like a light switch. It's so good. Like she's like, ah, fuck. Like, yeah, yeah, like, oh my god, how much longer do I have to keep up this pretense? Um, I wrote in my notes though, like in all caps. I was like, girl, if you can see her, she can see you. Oh, I <laughs> like know. that. That's how that works. <laughs> Yeah, like, you're also, like, she's up on a hill, and you're down the hill, which means, like, she just has to look down. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's a couple of times where you're like, Jules, at least climb a tree or something. I know you're injured, but get off the fucking ground. But again, like, imagine if your husband did this to you, right? Like, you're gonna constantly have those doubts. And Mm -hmm. I think in the early, at least in the first three-fourths of the movie, like, I find all of Jules' is like like second guessing believable mm-hmm. oh all of her reactions feel very authentic to me mm-hmm. she is not a movie superheroine. like right. she she doesn't just automatically recover and she doesn't turn into a badass final girl like she is fucking up this entire movie i do find it interesting because i mean like, we, we get the kind of insight to to jackie's like changing her name because like she was gay blah 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 i the movie doesn't address this because as we have mentioned already minahan wasn't interested in addressing it but like Jules is the more masculine of the two women. Correct. And it doesn't really address that. And I think that would have actually been a really good insight to go into. But then I don't know where you would fit it into the film unless maybe it was a one-off line. Yeah, it it actually reminds me, you're going to think this is a bit stupid, but it reminds me of what happened when they changed out the Mrs. Smith role from Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the Brad Pitt movie. Mm-hmm. Because originally the character was supposed to be played by Nicole Kidman and they ended up changing the fight scenes because they didn't, they had completely different fight scenes in mind because they didn't think Nicole Kidman could pull off the things that Angelina Jolie ultimately does because you just don't think physical prowess and like athleticism and the cool kid. <laughs> yeah like she would probably be using household weapons she wouldn't be you know pirouetting over a couch and kicking brad pitt in the face right and i i do wonder if any of that happened in this film like how would this movie play if jules was jules the man so, and you know would he still be terrified of his wife or would he still be able to like fight back i do want to clarify and so the killer was always the woman always always okay cool i just want to make yeah. that i want to make sure that was that was in fact true okay cool yeah because this movie just would be gross if it was 
a man trying to I, do this to his wife. Like, we've seen that story a million times. I think you can still... I, I kind of like the idea of it, though, as a straight couple, as, like, a woman killing a man, because then it's, like, oh, just, yeah. like, kind of... But I think, though, the implication, though, would be it would be more of a dumb man, like, just flummoxed by this woman's beauty, and that's not the case. At least, I don't get that impression with Jules. It'd be a femme fatale, which maybe explains why she's the femme of the relationship. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's like a holdover from the original script. Who Maybe. knows? Speculation. <laughs> so all this to say, Jules spends the night outside and she gets wet and that sucks. But she manages to get back to the cottage the next day. There's this great match on kind of action where we think that Jackie's lining up a shot. She's dressed out in camo wear. She's got this rifle with scope. And you think, oh, great. She's got Jules in her sight line. And it's actually just a deer. And Jules has managed to get back to the cottage and treat her wounds and try to um, find a phone. There is this stupid thing where she's like, shit, my ankle's broken. Who are you talking to? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, the door is locked. I mean, we talked about this in Fantasy Island last week where it was like, you know, you have like Maggie Q like, oh, I have to get the pan from my apartment to explain why she's going upstairs to her apartment. But like, mm -hmm. there's no real reason why this character would actually say this out loud to herself. She just turns to the fire. I've got to go get a pan from my yes, apartment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and the fire's like, okay, girl, you do you. So this, it's like, oh shit, my ankle's broken. It's like, I just don't think that you would say that out loud. But of course, we need to know as the audience that her ankle's broken. No, just give her a limp. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I see a limp. I'm just going to assume it's either twisted or sprained or broken. Or show like a purple ankle, you know, like put some makeup on it. Maybe they didn't have the makeup budget. Maybe. Anyway, let's get to the best part of the movie. It's so, I it's, mean, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. I remember this is the piece that everyone was talking about when this movie first became widely available. So, of course, we are talking about the cat and mouse game when Jackie <laughs> pursues Jules across the lake in individual rowboats. I mean, it is a suspenseful exclamation point rowboat chase <laughs> yes when we say it out loud it sounds dumb as fuck and when you watch it you're like jesus christ row faster yes oh it's so good i love it i love it i love it i actually really enjoy how hannah emily anderson plays jackie in this particular scene because she's somewhere between a terminator and an olympic athlete um it's also like there's there's a, there's a lot of comedy to be mined from her line deliveries like when when she's like why are you doing this i just want to talk to you jules <laughs> <laughs> yeah and jules is like fuck you jackie stay away from me jackie <laughs> I mean, if I'm in this movie, I want to play Jackie because it's just the more fun role to play. But um, yeah, right. I, some of those line deliveries, they're so, it's such like a gallows humor, or like black comedy. I, I, I live for that shit. It really is. And again, you think that things are going to come to a head here because of course, uh, <laughs> the woman who has not been thrown over a cliff and who is also in like peak physical shape <laughs> manages to catch up. So she hops into Jules's rowboat and she's more or less ready to stick her with a knife until Daniel happens to see them and then Jules keeps herself alive da, da, by <laughs> inviting Daniel and Sarah to dinner yeah. that night. And uh, it's, again, because this is kind of a moment where it's like, I mean, I didn't know where this was going to go. Like, I didn't yeah. know what was going to happen. And so, you know, when she's like, don't say anything. And then she goes, oh, but tonight's good. Oh, it's... Uh, I don't think that the, this movie's firing on all cylinders. And this is, I think maybe that's the problem is that this kind of is the peak of the film. Maybe the dinner scene in a bit. Yeah, this is where it feels like we're really ramping up. Yeah. 
for sure. So let's go. I 100% thought that they were going to row over and she was just going to kill Daniel. <laughs> that would be the end of it. <laughs> okay, but they don't. They go back to the cottage and Jackie realizes that she's got to clean this bitch up because she can't have them suspecting anything. So they're in the tub and Jackie explains why she's doing all of this. So she talks about the life insurance money and Jules says, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to tell the minute that they show up. And Jackie just nearly drowns her. Yeah. It's rough. The whole time I'm watching this, I'm just thinking to myself, like, what if my husband was doing this to me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, 24 hours ago, you thought that you were just having a nice romantic getaway weekend. And now it's like, okay, I'm I'm dying in this bathtub right now. (laughs) So uh, Jules also tries to barter. So she's going through, I think, various stages of grief. And she says, you know what? I accept who you are. I can live with this. Let's just move away. We don't have to do this anymore. And Jackie's like, uh, I've killed my previous wife. So, no. I'm I, the, the, the line delivery is like, um, I mourned with her parents, cried at her funeral. I'll do the same at yours. Oof. You know, I don't know what I would do in this situation, but like whenever you see Jules doing this, it's like, Jules, like, this is so obvious, like what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, like, no one is fooled by this. We've already established you're not a good actress because Jackie called you out on it earlier in the film. They always say that what you want to do if you're like, you know, with someone who's trying to kill you is you want to make them see you as a human. The problem is, I guess, in this case, that since Jackie is a psychopath, she doesn't see her as a human. She just sees her as a thing. Yep. She is a meal ticket. Mm -hmm. She is just flesh. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get to this dinner. So Daniel and Sarah arrive and Jules, as we mentioned, has this great speech where she talks about their relationship and everybody is kind of wrapped and engaged. I have this um, and I would like to read it because I I thought this was a really, really, really good monologue and it's delivered well, it's written well, but... So, yeah, Sarah's like, oh, how did you know that, um, you know, Megan was the one? Because we're still calling her Megan. Um, (laughs) She goes, love happens slowly for me. And then all at once, you start to notice all the little things, the good and the bad. The way they blink a lot when they think hard. The way they laugh at jokes that aren't funny. And all the little nuances that get under your skin. Like the way they shower for too long or hog the blankets at night. But it's the way they see the world differently that really draws you in. And even though you can never really know what's going on in their head, I mean, really know what's going on inside, you take the leap anyway, and you hope for the best, and you just pray that you don't get the worst. Ugh. Uh, like, that was also so insightful to me, too. Like, like you're with someone because they see the world differently, mm-hmm. and, you know, you, you do look for someone, I think, who's, like, different. You know, that's why they say opposites attract, because, you know, if someone sees the world differently, they're, they're able to, you're able to, like, experience things differently than because of them. Whereas if you marry someone who's just like you, it's just like, I mean, honestly, I think it could get boring after a while. Yeah, you're looking for someone who's going to challenge you, but also add something new to that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think over time, you hope that the relationship grows in such a way that you come to a sort of agreement or consensus where like your different ideologies can merge and you become better people as a result. And yeah. you just hope you don't get the bad one. I do love the switch though. When like, cause everyone's obviously really awkward and she's like, of course with Megan, I got really lucky. <laughs> <laughs> don't mind me. <laughs> My internal bleeding is just acting up again. <laughs> so after dinner, Jules, not at all subtly tries to cue Sarah that something is wrong. And even though Jackie is out on the veranda with Daniel, she fucking sees it. So she 
slits his throat, and then she stalks Sarah upstairs, and she brutally hacks her to death with glee. And then there's that line, Jenny fought harder. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Like, ooh. I, honestly, though, this is really Jules's fault. <laughs> because I mean, it kind of is, yeah. I don't know what you could have done differently, though. I'm like, no, if what... I was Jules, I would be like, I gotta do something. Like, as soon as these people leave, she's just gonna murder me. But what you do is you say, hey, don't do anything. But literally the second you leave this house, please call the police. Like, please call the police. And that's it. Like, just don't make a reaction. Instead, she's probably like, look, she tried to kill me and I need help. Like, that's, like, th- there's a way to go about it. You know, you gotta be smarter, Jules. Yeah, Sarah doesn't handle it excessively well, but then also Daniel is just standing there like such a fucking man. What? What? What's going on? What? Oh, what's that against my neck? Oh, is that an arterial spray against the window? Oh, I'm dead. I think that this scene, because it's really the most violent part of the film, it's really, really well done. It's really good. I mean, if they didn't have the budget for makeup for other things and they had to spend it all here, then I'm going to say it was money well totally spent. Totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and say that your ankle's broken out loud. If, if it gave me this, it's fine. Exactly. And honestly, I mean, I remember that there were stills from this movie that got released that I was looking at before I actually got to see it. And one of them was Jackie's face covered in Sarah's blood. Yeah. And then the other one is the scene that happens almost immediately afterwards, which is the two of them, like, on the boat, lesbians out in a rowboat at night with a lantern. I was like, wait, is this a gothic horror? Are these two, like, well, that's the thing, like, whenever this was coming out, like, I wasn't sure what kind of a movie I was going to get, which I think is why, like, I was just surprised a lot by this movie. Yeah, it's really good. I... This is one of those ones that benefits from going in cold and just not yeah. really knowing anything about it. Yeah, if you if you know going in, oh yeah, two two lesbians, the one of them's a killer. Like I think that really kind of spoils some of the film of the experience for you. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean by this point it's like cool, whatever. We're fully into it. Jules is fucked. It's just a question of what's going to happen next. Uh, and so yeah, we get some more comedic humor from Jackie here when she's like, <laughs> they do the pulse thing, mm-hmm. and then she's like. How deep do you think the lake is? No response. Well, I know because I looked it up. <laughs> like on Google, I guess, like the depth of this lake is there. So that's cool. Sure, you can. You can definitely do that. Mm-hmm. I do love the fact that she also admits she's like, yeah, you know, the reason I looked it up is because I wasn't sure whether I was going to put you in the lake or push you off the cliff. You're just like, holy shit, lady. <laughs> like, and it, it, it's so upsetting. But I just I love I love every single one of these lines. Like, again, it's not particularly like in-depth portrayal of a psychopath like this is henry portrait of a serial killer here but it's just like i don't know there's just something about it both in the in minahan's script and in anderson's performance that i'm just like yeah give it give it more yeah it it's a good balance i think between the kind of tragedy girls-esque dark humor and the like oh i'm still deeply upset about all of this yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So my favorite line is when they get back and they realize, okay, well, we've now got to clean this fucking cottage up because yep. we can't have blood. So you just see Jules looking like she wants to die, trying to clean up this blood that's just everywhere on the second floor. And Jackie's standing there going, I told you not to scrub. You need to blot. <laughs> See, I thought you were going to say when she's trying to, when she's puking, when she's axing up the bodies, and she's like, keep it, this is on you, Jules, keep it down. It's not going to get any easier when I make you do the next one. Yeah. (laughs) Also, can you imagine trying to axe a body apart with, like, broken fingers? No, I cannot at all. (laughs) 
So then we get this montage, and I have to say that th- this is like peak artistry for me. Like I thought fu- it's it's all in black light because she has to see where the blood is so she can like mm-hmm. make sure it's all clean. Set yeah. to Moonlight Sonata. And and you even get a little bit of like, oh, this isn't extra diegetic, this is diegetic, and mm-hmm. we'll talk about that a little bit more next week because the movie we're talking about next week also has a great example of this. Yes. But like I love that she sits down at the piano just to kind of wrap things up. I, I just, I was watching this hypnotized. Like, I mean, again, th- this is, at the end of the day, it's a three and a half out of five movie for me. And I realize I've been, like, praising it a lot. But I just, mm-hmm. I really do like this movie. And this fucking Moonlight Sonata montage of her kill, uh, cleaning blood to a black light, it's visually stunning. Yeah. And I'm also just a sucker for Moonlight Sonata, man. Like, literally, like, you put that in a movie, I'm pretty much going to bump up my rating a whole star. It's it's a good music cue. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> so we get a little fake out dream sequence in which yeah. Jewel gets loose and she stabs Jackie and yeah. then Jackie makes her breakfast because of course it has to look like she actually had breakfast when they examine the body uh, at this point Jewel finds the box of trophies yep um, behind the taxidermy bear head from earlier again Chekhov's bear <laughs> yeah I mean the bear is very off. important yeah it is important <laughs> this is a Canadian film trace it has to take place in the woods and we have to have bears yeah are there are a lot of bears in Canada I mean I guess there's a lot of woods in the middle of Canada right like between the west and the east I <laughs> Oh my god. Again, this is a very big country, so when you say that there's just a lot of bears between the <laughs> west and the east? Between British Columbia and you, Toronto, and <sighs> Montreal, which is further east than you? I mean, there's a whole section of prairies in there that don't have a lot of bears in there. Prairies are like like a desert kind of thing, right? Like wheat and corn. Oh, okay. Well, there's prairie dogs. So bears and prairie dogs. Sure. Let's just say <laughs> okay. that in Ontario, where this movie was shot and is maybe set, there are bears, yes. Okay, cool. Well, <laughs> this is the only bear in this movie. Yes. I'm just saying, like, Backcountry from Adam McDonald is also set in the same geographical Ew. area. Oh, God, I love that movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. <sighs> okay. So, uh, yeah, so Jules and Jackie pack up in the Jeep, and I think this is where people start to get a little bit anxious and feel like the movie is just repeating itself and not making as much sense. Yeah. So Jules stabs Jackie with a tranquilizer dart, she runs through the wood, she ends up right back at the cliff, and you think, okay, well, she's just going to push her off like she always planned, but then Jackie passes out because, of course, she's been tranked. So here's the thing. You, you could have ended the movie here. Yes. I, I think we're like just under the 80-minute mar- Yeah. Because honestly, when I, I thought that it was about to be over, and then I yeah. checked, and I was like, oh, there's 25 minutes left. Like- yeah, what what else is there? Which, you know, we've said is the feeling that you get a lot in this movie, but I think this is the part where people say, this is a plot contrivance that doesn't work. I kind of agree so i it does work because again we haven't mentioned it really but throughout most of the film we keep getting these black and white flashbacks to happier Mm -hmm. times and granted happier times is just them in bed together like kissing and talking and whispering sweet nothings and whatever i mean that sounds like happier times to me yes but it's not like there's not a specific (laughs) moment or anything you know it's just shots of them in the bedroom yeah it's also you know queuing up Chekhov's insulin yes absolutely But it, there is this whole, like, you know, once she passes out from this trank dart, and I literally wrote my notes in all caps, why doesn't she kill her right yeah. there? Well, because as it's, Jackie said earlier, your conscience is your Achilles heel. 
Yeah. So instead of killing her, Jules just drives away crying hysterically. But then she decides, no, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to drive back and face off against her, which is like the why. Why would you do this? Call the police. The momentum slows down a bit. Yeah, it's she doesn't think it through. I- I, I can buy her going back because, again, we're getting those flashbacks. Like, con- like they're, they're, like, really hitting you over the head with, like, oh, how happy they once were and mm-hmm. how believable this relationship was to Jules. And I get that. I do get that. From a narrative standpoint, yes. Th- this the, the, it, it really fucks up the pacing. And it, yeah. it's, it's very much kind of a, oh, you, this movie could end right now. Like, it just needs to end. And I think had this film been about 15 minutes shorter, I think we'd be seeing a lot more positive reviews for it. Oh, 100%. Yeah, because when you look at the complaints, people say, oh, it's the plot contrivances and the pacing. But again, I don't think they come into play until this part. Like, nothing before this is really an issue for me. Uh Uh-huh. I agree fully. Okay. So Jules ends up luring Jackie back to the cottage by hooking up some speakers and being like, hey, bitch, I'm back at the cottage. Come and get me. And then she's waiting with the gun. And I do like that Jackie is still a master manipulator. She's like, that gun's really old. You're just going to blow your own face off. So go, you know, have at it. There's this great fight scene of which we see nothing. It's sound (laughs) only because it's filmed from the floor below. And again, that's why that geography was important earlier so that the camera can just track along. And all we see is light shaking and sounds being heard. I think it's genius. I I really like this too. (laughs) But that's when you don't have the money to do something like maybe they didn't have a stunt choreographer or a fight choreographer like Mm -hmm. you find creative ways to show it and this I mean I I think we already missed it but there's a shot earlier too where Jules is like standing in a room that's filled with windows and it's just the rays of light that are highlighting her Mm -hmm. like this movie is so well shot and what's funny is the cinematographer hasn't even really done much of note beyond this so it's kind of surprising to me. Yeah, I mean, I think technically this film is good across the board. Like, I like Alan's score as well. I think it really works for what they're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's one of those things where you think, oh, I don't need to have $60 million to make a really good horror film. It's like, I can make it on an indie budget. And you just, yeah, sometimes you just got to get a little creative. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, not to say that can't have more money and be creative and it's not to say that all. no but i i think i think a lack of funds forces you to be creative and that's where you can see when a filmmaker is lazy or not and that's why in this respect i don't think colin minahan i honestly like the, with i'm not gonna i compare him a lot to mike flanagan like i don't think he's really up there in terms of quality yet but i see a lot of inspiration and, ta- and potential in his films even in mm-hmm. something like grave encounters which i don't think is like you know an amazing film but there's a lot of creativity on display in that film as well right right so. yeah i mean this definitely establishes him as one to watch so i am actually very excited to check out spiral because of how i feel about this film i'm interested to rewatch it um and also see what you think cool cool okay so Unfortunately, it is Jackie who ends up getting the upper hand, and the next morning, we are right back at the cliff where it all started. And I will say, again, I think, even though I'm with you and a lot of the people who are complaining, that I think at this point, I'm like, okay, like, let's just kind of be done with this. But I do love how this isn't a protracted, you know, no, I'm going to beg for my life, we're going to draw out. It's just like, Jules wakes up, she goes, no, Jackie, Mm -hmm. please, no, and then Jackie just kicks her off the cliff. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's a back and forth with me on this ending, you know? I'm sorry, this third act, really, where it's like, okay, let's go. Oh, that's good. Okay, let's go. Oh, that's really good. Like, that, that's, that's, I was going through a lot of whiplash watching mm-hmm. this. 
Yeah, so this is the good whiplash. Yeah. <laughs> so now the practice 911 call gets to pay off because, of course, Jackie makes the call. And as she kind of readies for the authorities to arrive, this is where we get the extended black and white flashback where it is, of course, confirmed Jackie is diabetic, so hey, that insulin has become important. She flips open a computer because she's feeling a little bit dizzy and discombobulated. And Jules has left her a videotape yeah. fuck you message. I love it, but this is a huge contrivance because she's really fucking lucky Jackie didn't watch that video before giving herself her shot. <laughs> hmm I got the impression that at this point... Uh, no, I guess that wouldn't make sense. I was gonna say I think she's been giving her the wrong shot, a lot like all along. But that no, that wouldn't make sense. Would no, it? no, no. It, it it it's this like sh- she gives herself the shot, feels woozy, and then goes to the computer. Which I'm assuming the idea was to Google why would I feel woozy after giving myself an insulin shot? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. WebMD. I'm feeling these symptoms. Am I a hypochondriac or a psychopath? But it is a really, really good sequence. And, like, when you see the realization on her face, and, like, when she's like, you know what happens when you inject hydrogen peroxide? It forms blood clots. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is not fucking around. That is not, you know, oh, I just gave you something to make you feel icky and you're going to die in 20 years. It's like, I've given you something and you're going to die pretty fucking soon. And, and I didn't mention that Minahan does pull triple duty because he's also the editor on this film. I do love the editing during her stroke scene because it's paired with the shots of her as a child who's mm-hmm. like shooting a deer or whatever. And it's like when the child shoots the deer, it cuts and it's when the stroke hits her as she's running slow motion through the field. Yeah. It's a bit melodramatic, but I, I kind of, it, it works for me. It also works for me. Yeah. I also like this idea that, you know, we're, we're paying off a lot of things. Like we joked that, oh, the insulin has to come back. But I do like the fact that we're also paying off that story where she has to stand there and watch the bear die. And then we get this idea that her younger self is now also watching her adult self die. Yeah. It's good yeah. stuff. I really enjoy it a lot. And so, again, it makes kind of like the sluggish pace and like some of the stupid contrivances from the past 15, 20 minutes a bit worth it because the catharsis in this scene is quite good. <laughs> Yeah, if you can't get over the idea that Jules would come back for this final confrontation, I don't think any of this stuff will work. But if you can be like, meh, I don't love it, but there's a lot of good stuff that happens after the fact, then I think this movie holds up a little bit better. Yeah, I agree. So we're more or less done. Jackie is dead. And then we go back to the cliff and we see Jules's body and her eyes are open. She's not moving. She seems to be dead. And then the screen fades to black. And there's no, 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 no. Sorry, it doesn't fade to black. It, it, the, the, it pans up. So we're essentially seeing like Jules's POV at the skyline of the trees. And it holds there for like 15 seconds, I think, before we get that breath. And then it cuts to black. This is where we can talk about, like, is she alive? Like, would she really be alive? No. I think she's pretty much going to die no matter what because, like, there's well, no one there. But the cops are on their way. Yeah. They, they, oh, yeah. They called the cops. Oh. And she told her she's at the base of the cliff. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, you know what? So, hey, do we like the pseudo happy ending or do we, no. or were you like, no? no? I want them both dead. Wow. Okay. Not, not because I don't like the characters. Yeah. I just think, like, her surviving once was enough for me. I kind of like the idea. 
And I think in part because this actually reminds me of a Christopher Pike novel called <laughs> Fall into Darkness, where a girl literally falls off a cliff, but she faked her death. But like she ends up actually dying later because like this is not the kind of thing that you can just survive. It ends up catching up to you. Yeah, I agree. But uh, but yeah, no. I mean, as a whole, I still think this is a really really good film. Um, I I waver between just bumping it up to a four out of five because I just I still really liked it, flaws and all. But yeah, I I, I think this is great. I, I'm interested to hear from our listeners now that we can finally jump in the conversation since obviously you know we've done this episode now. But <laughs> yeah, like I mean, what worked for you and what didn't, or is it pretty much the things we said that didn't bother us? as much that did bother you more i'm quite curious yeah i think i'm also interested to hear from people who have only seen this once compared to at least twice and whether you feel like you're more generous to some of the plot contrivances or if they're still like no i can't get over it yeah and i think it's fair if you can't get over it um i mean i think for me i've seen films with way worse plot contrivances so i'm Mm -hmm. just like this is this is not like movie ruining for me Yeah, I think it almost would have worked for me just a smidget better if when she actually gets Jackie at gunpoint and Jackie says like, oh, you just had to come back for closure or like you're trying to prove me wrong. Oh, you gave up your conscience or something like maybe it's a little bit too heavy handed from a scripting point of view, but I think it might have gone a little bit to address some of the people saying, well, why the fuck would Jules come back? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, let us know, everyone. Um, I've actually really enjoyed revisiting this. So um, go us. <laughs> yay us and yay Canadian horror. I feel Honestly, I feel like if we went really down the line, I feel like at least half the films we've covered have been Canadian in some shape, way, or form. <laughs> uh, well, if you count just shot in Canada and or yeah. starring mostly secondary characters who are Canadian, then yeah, it's a mm. lot. But it's just a geographical proximity thing. Yeah. Well, okay, well, that'll wrap that up. So uh, before we announce what we're covering next week, uh, we'll just go through some typical housekeeping. If you want to get in touch, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers uh, and join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on the podcatcher of your choice. If you would like Horror Queers merch, check out our store at tpublic.com. Just search Horror Queers on teepublic.com. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. This month, uh, well, we're pretty much almost done, but we've got new episodes on Random Acts of Violence and Deep Blue Sea 3, as well as audio commentaries on The Cabin in the Woods and The First Deep Blue Sea. We do have an exciting September lined up. Uh, We'll announce that next week in our episode on joe what is our episode on next week well you know this has been a lovely vacation month trace but i'm not quite ready to give it up just because we're headed into september so i've booked us first class tickets with peter neal noted mystery author we're <laughs> headed to rome because we're oh going to talk about tenebrae oh uh, tenebrae aka the only giallo i've seen that i've liked <laughs> yes, and our very first Dario Argento film. Uh, yeah, I, I'm surprised it's taken us that long to get there. Um, we do have a special returning guest next week as well, so y'all be sure to check that out. Tenebrae is streaming on Shudder, so y'all can watch it there. And also, in a weird coincidence that we did not plan, it does play very well as a companion to Random Acts of Violence, which, we're, as I mentioned before, we're covering on the Patreon, if only because it deals with similar themes of art-inspirating life or life inspiring art i don't know one of those things yes and i i just feel like i can't help but you know mention inspirating is not a word sure 
inspiring <laughs> inspiring it's inspiring it's really I, it's been a long day <laughs> i was gonna say you know what i don't need to be that dick because you could do that to me every other sentence no i think you do because otherwise it's gonna be a bunch of our listeners yelling at me in my car in their cars going what is he an idiot and i don't want people to think i'm an idiot no you know what it's our new t-shirt it's hashtag inspirating <laughs> anyway on that note we can cross out what keeps you alive Yes, and cross out horror queers. The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of creepy, disturbing, and terrifying creepy pastas, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and the Boo Crew. Horror-centric interviews. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.